listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we continue our series on race, truth, and reconciliation. When we analyze the heart and history of racism, we see it is another sin. When we come to understand God and his word, we see he is clear on how to handle this issue. Let's get started. Happy Sunday, family. It is an honor to greet each and every one of you on this beautiful Sunday morning. And as we prepare to go to the Word of God, I want to ask you to open your Bibles or to meet me in the TWC app. Perhaps you already have it open every single week. Our teaching notes are out there for you. So I want you to join me in the Gospel according to John. John, and let's begin in John 4, beginning at verse number 1. John chapter 4 and verse number 1. The word of the Lord says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. As we begin this second week, of this necessary and needed teaching series, Race, Truth, and Reconciliation. I I want to talk in week two this morning about race, racism, and ruin. Race, racism, and ruin. Now, this morning, I'm not going to walk you through this passage in John chapter four expositionally. Normally, that's often the way that I do uh, preach the word of God. And expositionally means verse by verse, line by line, precept by precept. I'm not going to do that this morning, but instead, I want to invite you to look with me at the bigger message, the bigger theme or the bigger reason why Jesus throughout his earthly ministry reaches out to and even champions Samaritans. So much of Jesus's ministry was in direct opposition to how the Jews felt about Samaritans, and he did this on purpose. Now, the history of the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In 722 BC, the Jews that were living in the northern kingdom were taken captive by the Assyrians. And many of those Jews were taken into exile, but there were still a remnant, a few that remained. And subsequently, an interracial exchange began to happen. Jews began to marry Assyrians. Assyrians began to marry Jews. And as a result, a new race or a new ethnic group, if you will, was created. And that new race or ethnic group was called Samaritans. So now fast forward to Jesus's day. In Jesus's day, Jews avoided Samaritans. Their hostility, their issues, and their problems with Samaritans were all about race. So when the Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, this is a big deal because Jews avoided Samaritans like the plague. Jews hated Samaritans. They avoided Samaritans. They looked down upon Samaritans and they even considered Samaritans to be less than all because of race, all because the Samaritans were a different ethnicity. But despite all of that, what you see in John chapter four and what you see at several other times in the ministry of Jesus 
is that he champions Samaritans. He supports Samaritans. He even makes Samaritans some of the heroes in a few of his parables because he is intentionally demolishing the incorrect assumption that people are different and even less than because they are of a different race. Now, we are broadcasting this morning from the historic Bethel Baptist Church in Collegeville. We are actually in the sanctuary where the civil rights legend and icon, Dr. Fred Shuttlesworth, used to preach and lead the civil resistance to unfair treatment because of race. One of the highlights of my time in college was that I actually got a chance to meet Dr. Shuttlesworth. He came to DePaul University when I was a student there and he spoke and it was an honor just to hear him, but also to meet him. And so I definitely have got to give a special shout out to Dr. Thomas Wilder and the leadership team here at Bethel for everything that they've done just to allow us to be in this space today. Listen, even in the midst of a failed assassination attempt on his life. Dr. Fred Shuttlesworth worked his entire life to demolish racism and the unfair treatment of people simply because they had a different skin color. This is in fact what Jesus is doing in the way that he relates to and connects with Samaritans. Jesus champions Samaritans, supports Samaritans, and even makes Samaritans the heroes in his parables for several reasons. The first reason, number one, is because race is not real. Yeah, I said it right, and I'm going to say it again. Race, number one, is not real. The concept of race as we know it and as we use it, it's not real. It's an artificial construct, meaning we made it up. The Jews made up this idea that the Samaritans were inferior and had less value as human beings simply because of their ethnic difference. But here's the thing. There was absolutely nothing that substantiated this belief. The Jews made it up. And likewise, our understanding of race and the ideologies around it were all made up. The late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but not to their own facts. And so let's check the facts on this. The facts are that distinction and differences based on race is not real. This entire concept of race is made up. Race, as a matter of fact, as a biological and scientific concept is not real. In 1950, an international panel of anthropologists, geneticists, sociologists, and even psychologists all declared that race was not a biological reality, but instead was simply a myth. Decades later, in June of 2000, the White House made a momentous announcement that leading scientists had completed the mapping process of the human genome. They literally cracked the code of DNA. And at that event, Dr. Craig Venter, who was one of the leading scientists who supervised the mapping of the human genome, said this. The concept of race has no genetic or scientific basis. This is coming from the leading scientist who, who was over this process of mapping the human genome. He said that the concept of race has no genetic or scientific basis. 
He went on to explain that when his team were cracking the code of DNA, when they were mapping the human genome, and and when they were looking at DNA, they could not tell by looking at the DNA if that person was Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian, or African-American. And since then, there's been so much more research that's been published that continues to affirm this same conclusion. So much research has been done by the American Anthropological Association and the American Association of Physical Anthropologists and so many more, and they've all affirmed this same conclusion. Now, get this. 99.9% of our DNA is the same. That's a big deal. I want you to wrap your mind around that, so I'm going to say it to you again. 99.9% of our DNA is the same. This is why we live in a day now where historians and scientists are now agreeing with the Bible that we all came from the same place. And so over time, we know that God gives his mandate to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And then after the flood, he gives this same mandate to Noah and his children to populate the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. And so over time, as groups of people began to migrate to different parts of the world into different climates, that's how we got that 0.1% difference. In different climates, the impact of the sun's rays are different. Um, the, the sun and the impact of its ultraviolet rays varies by region and climate. So if your ancestors centuries ago settled in a warmer region, then it means you got more sun. You got more of the sun's ultraviolet rays and ultimately you got a darker skin complexion. Or if your ancestors settled in colder climates, then it meant that they received less of the sun, less of the sun's ultraviolet rays, and ultimately had a lighter skin complexion. I'm explaining to you how we ended up over time with different skin tones. But listen, even that only equates to a 0.1% difference. But 99.9% of everything else about us is the same. So get this. For centuries, there have been division and there's been oppression and countless deaths all because of a 0.1% difference. So then the question is, if scientifically, biologically, Genetically and anthropologically, if we are the same in all of those ways, then where did this concept of race come from? Well, it started during a period of time called the Enlightenment. And I'm talking about the 16th and the 17th century. In that time, the natural sciences of biology and botany and anthropology were being created uh, in European universities. And as these scientific classifications and fields of study were being created, one of the things that these leaders in science endeavored to do was they endeavored to identify and to classify everything on the planet. So they began to classify plants and animals. Some of you may remember in school that we learned about a genus and species. This, this was all born during the age of the Enlightenment when they began to classify plants and animals. And then after they classified plants and animals, guess what? They decided to try to classify people. And it's from this classification 
that we began to get this concept of race because at that time, they classified every person on the planet into three classifications, Caucasoid, Mongoloid, and Negroid. Now, in their quack science, and yes, I say it quack science because history uh, eventually revealed how wrong they were. But in their quack science, this is what they did. They classified the Caucasoids as superior and the Mongoloid and the Negroid as inferior. Now, here's the million dollar question. Guess what classification the scientists themselves who came up with all of this, guess what classification they belong to? You guessed it, Caucasoid. So, of course, they're going to rank themselves higher than everybody else. It's kind of like if you had a conversation with your friends about who had the better golf game or the better tennis game. and Your friends start talking about how far they can hit the ball or how great they are at the sport. Of course, you may speak up and say, well, you're not better than me because we all have a tendency to want to put ourselves at the very top of everything. But the point that I want you to understand is that they just made it up. This is the first time in history that we begin to see these designations of race. But here's the problem. They were wrong. And then out of a lust for economic and political power, when European colonialism began, they used this same quack science to justify the massacre and the enslavement of people. So when the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Dutch and the English began to invade West Africa, they had to go to the church for permission. And the rationale that they gave to the church was based on this quack science. They said to the church that these people were ignorant, that they were savages, that they lived like beasts, that they had no understanding of the good and that they needed to be saved. They, in fact, even told the church that their expedition was a missionary expedition. Well, the problem with that is that, number one, it was based on quack science. Number two, it was a flat out lie. People in West Africa at that time were not ignorant. They did not live like beasts. There were well-developed kingdoms in West Africa during this time, and the folk didn't run around naked like some of the old movies would like to suggest to us. No, they were clothed, they lived in homes, and they had a deep understanding of morality. But the other problem with their rationale is that you can't force your faith on somebody. People have to come to the faith through free will. They have to accept it because they desire it, not because anybody forces it on them. But what I want you to understand, family, is that it was this quack science and these lies that led to the transatlantic slave trade. And during the transatlantic slave trade, listen to this, more than 60 million Africans died or were enslaved as a result. Over 60 million. Now, I've got to put these numbers in the context for you. Only about six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, and it was horrible and horrific. But it was only about six million. Now, let me give you another piece to put 60 million into context. The global population at the time of the transatlantic slave trade was less than one billion people. So get this, there was less than one billion people on the planet at this time, and over 60 million of them died or were enslaved. Here, here's something else to help you really put this 
into context. The population of Africa at that time was only about 100 million people. So get this. On the continent of Africa, there were only at this time about 100 million people. And during the transatlantic slave trade, over 60 million died and were enslaved. Over 60 million people were killed, were brutalized, were raped and enslaved, all because a few people made up that their race was better than every other race. And it's not even true. All of this happened because of a 0.1% difference. One of the reasons why Jesus had to go through Samaria is because incorrect human classifications of race violate the biblical truth that we are all created in the image and the likeness of God. Back in Genesis, in the book of beginning, in chapter 1 and verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all of the wild animals and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, here it is, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So get this, family. Whatever that 0.1% difference is, if your 0.1% difference is that your skin color is lighter than mine, it's still in the image of God. If that 0.1% difference is that my hair is kinky and your hair is straight, well, guess what? We're still in the image of God. If that 0.1% difference is that your eye color is blue and mine is brown, we're still in the image of God. Whatever that 0.1% difference is, maybe my nose is bigger than your nose. Maybe your ears are bigger than my ears, but it's still a 0.1% difference. And whatever that difference is, you and I are made in the image and the likeness of God. This is why when you support and even believe in these artificial differences, you are literally dishonoring our heavenly father. This is why Jesus had to go through Samaria, because what he couldn't allow to stand was Jews having this artificial classification of who's superior and inferior as it related to Samaritans. Jesus went through Samaria and related to Samaritans the way that he did to demolish this false concept of race because the truth is all of us are created in the image and likeness of God. That's why family racism is the horrible sin That it is because when you hold racist beliefs and tendencies and when you believe in this lie and this myth that one race is superior and the other is inferior, you are in essence just like Adam saying to God, I know what you said, but I want to go my own way. I want to be my own God because God is clear that everybody on the planet he made in his image and in his likeness. And when you believe in this artificial difference of race and that people are superior or inferior based on that, you are in essence saying, God, you're wrong. You're in essence saying, I want to be my own God and I want to set up my own system just like Adam and Eve did. Jesus champions Samaritans, supports Samaritans, and even makes Samaritans 
the hero in his parable because number one, racism or race rather is not real, number one. But then number two, it's because racism is about power. It's about power. So number one, get this in your notes, race is not real. But then number two, why did Jesus champion Samaritans? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Because number two, racism is about power. Now, I want to make sure that you're tracking with me because I'm giving you a lot this Sunday morning. But but here's kind of a recap. These made up classifications of race didn't exist until the 1600s. And prior to that, there was no such thing as race. But these made up classifications were created by Europeans to draw a line of delineation between those in power and those that they wanted to force into servitude. So race is not real, but the entire reason why these classifications of race were made was simply to determine those who were superior and those that they wanted to label as inferior. Race was created simply to identify one group as better than and another group as less than. So then the question is, how did we get then from race to racism? Well, in order to answer that question, we've got to start by acknowledging that we all have some kind of racial prejudice. No matter what our race or our color or our background We all have some distorted and unsubstantiated opinions and even stereotypical beliefs about other racial and ethnic groups. For an example, if I come into a room where I don't know anybody and I see uh, in the corner that there are some African-Americans and maybe in another corner uh, there are some white individuals, I might gravitate towards the African-American corner because I probably would assume, well, I've got more in common or maybe they're going to be nicer to me or what have you. And here's the thing, I could be completely wrong. And that's a word for all of us. We have to be open to confront our prejudices. But the point I want you to understand is this, racial prejudice, though, is not racism. Racial prejudice only begins to be transformed into racism when the racial prejudices of one racial group are enforced by the systems and institutions of society, which result in greater rewards and privileges for one racial group with power and fewer rewards and privileges for the racial groups without power. So racism goes beyond prejudice. Racism is about Power. As a matter of fact, the distinctive mark of racism is power. Racism is the collective power to enforce prejudice. Simply stated, racism is prejudice plus power. Prejudice plus power equals racism. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 9, we see another instance of Jesus having to intervene on behalf of the Samaritans. In Luke 9 and verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him. Why? Because he was headed for Jerusalem. Let me explain this. The Samaritans have been oppressed for years by the Jews. And so they're wondering, is Jesus coming into their town to continue to oppress them? And so it says that that the people didn't welcome him there because 
he was headed to Jerusalem. They thought that he was just going to continue to do what other Jews have been doing to them. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked this, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But look at what Jesus did. It says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. The disciples already had prejudice. They were prejudiced towards Samaritans. You see this throughout scripture. And it doesn't really begin to turn around until later in the book of Acts. But they already had the prejudice. But now here's what they're adding to their prejudice. They're adding power. Because what they're basically saying is, Jesus, we can we can use the power you've given us. We can call heaven and earth to rain fire down on them. It's prejudice plus power. They already think that the Samaritans are inferior. And now they're trying to enforce their power to marginalize and oppress them and even kill them. And Jesus, the Bible says, turns and rebukes the disciples. Why? Because what he's saying is that's not God. Racism, using your power to oppress and marginalize based on your assessment of who's superior and inferior is not God. This is how a professor at California State University defines race and racism. He says it this way. He says that race is an arbitrary, meaning it's specious and false, sociobiological construct created by Europeans during the time of worldwide colonial expansion and adapted in the political and social structures of the United States to assign human worth and social status, using themselves as the model of humanity for the purposes of legitimizing white power and white skin privilege. Prejudice plus power equals Racism. And history is clear about how this power has been used. From the moment that African slaves were brought to this country, white individuals used their power to create laws that were designed to subjugate and oppress people of color. In 1705, the Virginia slave codes were established as law. And these slave codes denied free people of color the opportunity to own land, to hold public office, and even testify in court. The Virginia slave codes officially established as a law that African slaves were nothing more than property and that interracial relationships of any kind, social or romantic, were extremely banned. Power was exerted and laws were passed that even defined people of color as three-fifths of a human being. Now, this was done on purpose because the founding documents of our country said that every human being is given the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But if you create a law that says that people of color are not fully human, then you don't have to grant them the right to life, liberty, and pursuits of happiness. The same power to subjugate and oppress, was on display during the Civil War. Now listen, anyone who tries to suggest that the Civil War was merely about states' rights, they either don't know their history or they are willfully ignoring it. Hmm. The Civil War was about Southern states not wanting to give up their power to own slaves. 
And if you don't believe me, all you've got to do is read the succeeding documents. Read the succession document that South Carolina and Georgia and Mississippi and other states wrote. They literally said we are doing this because the North is trying to take our power and our ability to own slaves. They said it in their own succession documents. Civil War was about exerting that power to subjugate and to oppress people of color. And even after the South lost the Civil War, they exerted power again during the period of Reconstruction to essentially re-enslave black people all over again. They created black codes, which were uh, codes that established nuisance laws like vagrancy that would allow law enforcement to just pick up a black person on the street and send them to jail. And then when they were in jail, they, they would then do something called convict leasing, where they would lease them out to companies and landowners. And they created all of these laws simply to re-enslave people of color all over again. Prejudice plus power equals racism. And this is what is most important family for us to understand. Racism always leads to ruin. Not just for those who are oppressed, but also for those who exert the power to oppress. The power of racism ultimately imprisons and destroys us all. Why? Because you cannot cut the body of humanity in half and not have both halves bleed to death. The devastating and destructive power of racism goes so far beyond the people of color it hurts and the white people that it helps. The power inherent in racism ultimately destroys our humanity and it reshapes our identity into something that is deeply evil, sinister, and monstrous. This is part of the reason why, yet again, in another parable, Jesus makes the Samaritan a hero on purpose. In Luke chapter 10, one chapter after the disciples try to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. A teacher of the law asked Jesus who is his neighbor. And notice what Jesus says. Pick me up in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered and he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, meaning he recognized that he was not fully doing that. He recognized, like I talked about last Sunday, that, that, that he had fallen short, just like the church has fallen short. So he's looking for a way out. That's what it means when it says that he wants to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and so who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said this. Listen to this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed 
by on the other side. But a Samaritan, here it is, the hero of the story, a Samaritan, a different ethnic person, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. You got to know that when Jesus said this to the Jews, man, they were hot. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus closes the story with the question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replying, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Translation, what Jesus was saying is that you are so concerned about power. You're so concerned about who's better and who's less than that what you don't even understand is that the power inherent in your racism has stripped you of your simple human dignity. The mere fact that you see somebody laying on the side of the road and you don't even think that they've got the dignity that demands that you help them, that you walk by on the other side. Jesus is saying that this is a problem. It is a problem that we've ignored the dignity of a, of a teenager who was merely walking to his father's house and had a hoodie on. And because we denied his dignity, we came up with all kinds of reasons why George Zimmerman shot him down. We've ignored the dignity of a young woman, a good woman and had a great job and led a great life who was in her own apartment. And the police went into the wrong apartment and shot her down. And there are no repercussions. We've, we've denied the dignity of her humanity. When we think it's okay to put our foot on the neck of a man who was already subdued, we have gotten so debased to the point that we don't even acknowledge human dignity. This is what Jesus is saying. Racism ruins us all. Not just the oppressed, but even those who are the oppressors. And he says to the teacher of the law, if you really want to be a good Christian, if you really want to represent the ideals of God, then go and do likewise. Understand that if you see somebody that is in a precarious situation, regardless of their race, regardless of the 0.1% difference, the Christian thing to do is to help them, not to oppress them, to lift them up, not to put your foot on their neck. This is what it means to not just love God, but to love our neighbor. Jesus says, how do you interpret the scriptures? He says, well, the scriptures tell us to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you don't oppress them. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you, you don't say that you are superior and your neighbor is inferior. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you give your neighbor the same grace, the same opportunities, the same access as you desire. Race, racism, and ruin. Family, this is only week two. 
and we're going deeper into this series. I hope that you will join us again next week. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.